This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Skeptical Skeptics. I'm your host, Mark Metzger. And I'm Mike Metzger. And today, uh, Mike's got one story, and I've got another story. Mike is going to talk about... Mike, what are you going to talk about again? In uh, honor of March Madness, uh, I'm going with one of the biggest conspiracy theories of all, the NBA draft uh, rigging. And I'm going to talk about a uh, very interesting uh, ghost story that, that might be proven true. So, Mike, why don't you talk talk to us about the NBA conspiracy theories? There's a quite a f- the, the main one I'm going to focus on today is the uh, the rigging of the NBA draft. Uh, the most famous one from this is in 1985. The uh, New York Knicks uh, received the first pick of the draft and selected Patrick Ewing. Uh, many people, even to this day, still think that this was rigged. Uh, they say the envelope was frozen. That seems to be the popular theory. That's how David Stern picked out the correct envelope. But also the envelope, some people also will note that it's got a small crease on it, looking as if it was marked ahead of time. Like he took that specific one and threw it heavily into the draft ball thing is what a lot of people think. Have have you heard of this before, Mark? Yeah, I've definitely heard of it before. Uh, Obviously, Patrick Ewing's probably the most famous one. Uh, The NBA would have been very happy for him to go to a giant market like New York, which is obviously what happened. Uh, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers getting LeBron James, the uh, you know, the state that he's from. There's been some coincidences as far as the NBA draft goes. So I've definitely heard it before. I think there's probably a little validity to it. Um You know, the NBA, as you kind of started to say, the NBA certainly is not without its controversy and not without other scandals that have been proven true, like the uh, like the uh, NBA ref scandal. Yeah, see, uh, see, I'm no mathematician and I'm not even a math magician, so I can't really give the numbers on this. But the, the some of these odds of people getting the number one picks in these certain circumstances are uh, very strange. Like, for example, uh, in the year 2016, uh, the Sixers won the lottery, and some people think it's because they got rid of Sam Hinkle. Um, in 2012, uh, shortly after the uh, Hornets were, or I'm sorry, you know, the, the now Pelicans within Hornets were sold, uh, they just happened to get the top uh, draft pick, which they used for Anthony Davis, yeah. who, who loves playing for the Hornets and uh, the Pelicans both. <laughs> uh, the year after the... Uh, the infamous decision where LeBron James decided to uh, take his talents to South Beach. Uh, the, who got the very first pick in the draft? The Cleveland Cavaliers. That's that's crazy. I mean, they were a playoff team, and the odds of them getting a uh, number one draft pick were like almost non-existent. Yet here they are with the number one. Yep. Um, I believe uh, I need to double check this one. But I believe Derek Rose, uh, Chicago's own, uh, happened to be a high. You know, everyone thought he'd be a higher draft pick at that point. And uh, sure enough, the Chicago Bulls got the number one pick, and they took Derek Rose, the uh, hometown hero. Yep. Also, the place you know of uh, Michael Jordan's uh, dominance. You know, pretty well known amongst NBA fans that that's where he's from. And so you know they wanted to make an, another relevant type person. Uh, so they got Derek Rose instead, and his uh, knees were uh, drafted fifth round. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. They, it, you know, like I said, you know, I think there's a lot of credence to your theory here because of the other stuff the NBA has been a part of, um, you know, in the in the early 90s, obviously lots of rules were changed for uh, Michael Jordan in order for him to be more successful because he was the big star and they wanted to showcase him. So they're they're obviously not uh, opposed to changing, bending the rules a little bit to to showcase stars and to to get marquee matchups when they can. A lot of people think that uh, that Michael Jordan, when he quote unquote retired for two years, it was actually a two year paid suspension um, because he got in trouble for gambling since he has such a a gambling problem. Competitive. Yep. And gambling. Yeah, he's just notorious for gambling. I mean, why wouldn't he bet? Even if he bet himself, that would be in violation of the league's rules. Yeah. So another. They, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, you. Well, I was just going to say they think that um, since, you know, he quote unquote retired and played baseball, he went to play baseball for the White Sox, who were owned by the same people at, that owned the Chicago Bulls and just collected a salary for two years. And he came back almost two years to the day. Yeah, it's uh, pretty coincidental that he was just, you know, the timing, like you said, uh, here's the way the lottery works. Uh and I get a lot of this information from the website, The Ringer. It actually has a little bit on this topic if you want to explore it further. Um, there's 14 ping pong balls numbered from 1 to 14. So there's about 1,001 possible four-digit combinations. So the team with the worst record gets 250 of the combinations. So they get about a 25% chance of winning. The second worst team gets uh, 199 uh, combinations, you know, and it keeps going on and on, you know, the, you know, the lottery picks, the top 14 picks. I mean, unfortunately, with uh, – Basketball. I'm not sure how familiar the listeners are with the sport. Um, there's only five people on the court at any given time. So one person being especially good is a huge impact to the game. Absolutely. Like, I mean, in football, if you get like a number one pick, it's not necessarily going to make the team. I mean, if you get like a generational quarterback, that might, you know, do something. But if you get like J.J. Watts, I mean, the Texans aren't, you know, aren't Super Bowl champions for getting J.J. Watts or anything like that. Yeah, unfortunately, our Texans. Yeah, we're from Texas, so, you know, we're huge fans. <laughs> uh, although another another uh, another another thing that adds credibility to this theory is uh, in the year 2017, uh, the Lakers were kind of, you know, on the downslope. Uh, and, uh, of course, they decided not decided, but at the, at the last minute, they uh, they got the third worst record in the in the league, which gave them basically a because they had a high, a high lottery pick, but they gave them a 53 percent chance of losing the pick. So then uh, a supposedly Magic Johnson assured someone that they're going to get their top three pick this year before the draft even happened. What? And then sure enough, when the uh, when the balls were in the thing, uh, who happens to get the second pick of the, uh, you know, the uh, oh, excuse me, Los Angeles Lakers. And they, I mean, they use it for Lonzo Ball, but I mean, still, I mean, they had the chance to get a, uh, you know, a good, a, a good player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And much like uh, New York in uh, in 1985, you know, like a marquee, you know, what's good for Los Angeles Lakers is good for the rest of the league. I mean, they're, you know, like them or dislike them. You know, they're always, you know, you're always going to hear about who's on the Lakers as if it's like the most important team in the league. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely try to bolster those big cities, New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, Boston. The, they they definitely seem to want to to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, even like, uh, you know, 
even when Chris Paul was on the uh, Pelicans or was it the Hornets at the time? I don't remember, but you know, he wanted to be moved and they wouldn't move him, you know, while the NBA controlled them. And like, there was some, you know, theory that he was also like part of a conspiracy that they wouldn't let him move. And unless it was to the Lakers or there was some craziness with that. Yeah. That's happened a few times where the NBA has taken over teams and, you know, that's always super strange to me as well. The, there's a lot of stuff about the way the NBA operates that I think is is pretty sketchy. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, of all the major sports, you know, leagues, there's quite a bit of sketchiness throughout all of them. I mean, you could definitely say that uh, I would I mean, I don't know if it was direct collusion, but with the Colin Kaepernick thing, you know, a lot of people thought they were directly, you know, communicating with each other not to hire him. Mm-hmm. I, I personally just feel that, I mean, at that time when he was trying, I mean, he was already like basically not getting a roster spot at that point. You know, he wasn't a premier player or even like an elite talent by that level anyway. So, I mean, it's probably a combination of just not, I mean, if it was, you know, Tom Brady who had done something similar, I don't think he would have, you know, a problem finding a job the season after. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, like, like you said, I think he just wasn't good enough to take that stand. Yeah. I mean, if you were better then you know, I don't think there'd be a problem. He was just like, kind of like more like, you know, baggage to him. Like not only is he not that great, but he's controversial. I mean, if it was any other league, I mean the MLB, I don't think, you know, I don't think they would have hired someone like that just because it seems to be more like, uh, I guess conservative in a lot of ways, the NBA, I don't think there'd be any problem if you were trying to protest, you know, against police brutality you know, which is what he was doing in spite of what a lot of people actually think he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, t- I, t- I definitely agree with that. I think in the NBA, he wouldn't have had uh, had a problem at all, really. Um, you know, it's like in, in the in the NBA, you know, I, I think uh, who was it? Tim Raines, you know, Tim Raines used to do uh, cocaine all the time. And, uh, you know, he got to keep his job because. He stole 100 bases in a season. Uh, And there's, you know, there's there's evidence of that, like all over sports for sure. Like when was the last time somebody tested positive for steroids in football? Yeah, that's I mean, of all the sports where you would want steroids, you know, to recover from all the brutal injuries. I mean, and just no one has been, you know, I like you. I mean, the last person I could think of that was tested positive wasn't even in the the NFL was in college. It was Clay Matthews. Yeah. And, that you know, it's just, you know, that you can't tell me that some of those people aren't on steroids. Yeah, I mean, and another thing similar to that is in the NBA, you almost never hear of anybody getting caught or tested positive for uh, marijuana use. Mm-hmm. There's one player, I cannot remember who it was, but like he was, you know, he was testing positive and like everyone just like un- just made fun of him because like they tell you when they're going to do it. You know, they're like, oh, well, in six weeks, we're going to be testing for this, you know. So they essentially allow players to clean up by that time and just some idiot, you know, who doesn't even take the opportunity to stop for six weeks or whatever. Just he's the one who gets in trouble, you know. Right. Oh, yeah, that's uh that's definitely I, I think if I was going to put that on a scale of likelihood, I think I would put that as a highly likely uh, conspiracy theory. I think that's one that's that I tend to think is probably true. Yeah. But uh, my story this week uh, is the story of a man who ended up dying and maybe contacted his uh, ex-girlfriend. So 
This this man's name was uh, Sam Wheat, and he was a banker in New York City. So he's like, a, you know, kind of a big time banker and everything. Uh, he and his girl, probably a Patrick Ewing fan. Yeah, exactly. He and he and his uh, girlfriend had just moved into a new apartment and, you know, they were renovating it and everything. And uh, he had a friend that he worked with named Carl Br- uh, Bruner. And he was helping him renovate things and everything. Uh, and his girlfriend, Molly, was uh, in t- uh, into pottery. She died. She did like uh, she made different uh, clay pots and everything like that. It, it, this becomes uh-huh. significant in the story. Okay. Um, so at, at one point, apparently, according to some of the police records, uh, Sam had told his friend Carl that he he noticed some weird high balances in in obscure bank accounts uh, at their the place where they worked, and he wanted to investigate the matter uh, himself. And he asked for Carl's help, and Carl said, "No, you know, I I'm you know I don't want to get into this. I think this is uh, kind of sketchy and everything." So later that very same night. Uh, Sam and Molly were attacked by this mugger who killed Sam, shot him with a gun and then took his wallet. Uh, And at that point, you know, Sam is dead. Molly, uh, you know, buries him. She goes through this uh, period of distress. She's she's very upset. Um, Carl and her get a little closer. They kind of comfort each other. They both seem to be, you know, like grieving over the loss of of Sam. Um, And uh, according to Molly, Sam was there the entire time you know, trying to communicate with her. This was something that she had learned uh, later. You know, there there in, in retrospect, as she told um, one of the uh, the people that documented this case, there were weird things that were happening around the house. A, uh, you know, a cup of pens would just fall over seemingly on its own. Uh, she, you know, there were uh, just different uh, noises and sounds that she couldn't quite uh, pinpoint of what it was coming from. Uh, one day, this uh, woman named Otome Brown, who claimed to be a psychic, uh, came to her house and said that she was able to see and communicate with Sam and that Sam had an urgent message for her. Um, so, you know, Molly at first, of course, doesn't believe this. Uh, she says, you know, she says, uh, to tell Sam that he loves her or she loves him. And Otome says, uh, he says he loves you too, which is not how Sam normally responded to that question. So she honestly didn't believe her. And according to Otome, who said that she was in contact with this spirit, that Sam told her, tell her ditto. So he says, or she says ditto to her, at which point it was, it was kind of an inside thing between them. He used to, when whenever she'd say, I love you to him, he would respond with ditto instead of saying, I love you too. 
And uh, it was sort of this thing between the two of them that no one else really knew about. So that's, yeah, it's funny because uh, you know the uh, magician Harry Houdini, like supposedly, like he and his wife had like a secret phrase to use, like in case he was ever beyond the grave. Or that's interesting. I've never heard that before. Because yeah, he he was like a debunker. He didn't believe in like you know ghosts that kind of stuff. So he always said, you know, we have a secret passcode so if the, you know if ever i actually am speaking from beyond the grave i'll give you this so it's i wonder if they you know i wonder if uh like this guy and his uh, girlfriend or ever had like done something like that at a time or it was just like the phrasing like you said you know so um oda may testified that she discovered uh or that sam told her that sam had figured out that carl was the one stealing the money from their company uh, around four million dollars, and Jeez. he figured out what bank account it was. Uh, according to Oda May, she told him that he had went to Carl's house. He w- uh, he was able to pass through walls and things like that. He got the account, the bank, and the account number, and uh, he instructed her to go to the bank to close this account and get a cashier's check for four million dollars. She is reluctant to do this because, Jeez. I mean, this is basically stealing. So uh, Oda May, who was later, um, you know, arrested for this, uh, she uh, and, and eventually she got uh, let go as she uh, cooperated with with the police investigation. But um, she uh, she said she went to the bank, uh, gave all the correct information. So she somehow knew all this correct information. That, you know, she didn't have any, she didn't even know who Carl was. Uh-huh. Um, and she gets, uh, she gets this check for $4 million and then she gave it to charity. She, apparently, um, Sam instructed her to give it to charity and she reluctantly did so. Um, so then, uh, basically it, it, from here, uh, Carl, starts to realize what's going on. He tries to uh, break into Otome's place, um, tries to uh, have her killed with the same guy, apparently, that shot Sam. So they knew each other. Yeah, I know. Lots of coincidences, like real. I mean, if this isn't real, a lot of coincidences really coming together in this one. Um, Right. So anyway, uh, he runs like uh, he runs away from her panicked because apparently um, the Sam had uh, was able to actually interact with the physical world somehow and threw an object at him. And so he runs away and he ends up getting this guy ends up getting hit by a car. Uh, so, you know, that's obviously sad. Um, towards the end of everything that happened with Molly, Carl broke into Molly's apartment and tried to take her hostage. Uh, Apparently, according to Molly, Carl was saying some weird things about how he owed people money. He needed this money that that he was stealing. He was into some mobsters or something like that. Um, And then uh, Carl broke through the window got impaled by a shard of glass and died while he was struggling with uh, with Molly. And Molly said that she felt this like force pushing uh, against Carl. Uh, apparently, at some point, Sam had a was able to figure out how to interact with the physical world. Um, 
So then this is the really kind of creepy part, but it's also sort of sweet too. Uh, so at this point, uh, Carl's dead. She's kind of crying in, in, in uh, her apartment. Molly says that the room filled with light and then she could see, she could actually physically see Sam. And yes. he basically said that he needed to go to heaven, that, you know, she was safe now and that everything was going to be OK. Uh, he gave her a kiss. Uh, Oda May had come, you know, to, uh, to, you know, late, late in this struggle too. Uh, he thanked her and then he disappeared into this light, presumably, I assume, uh, to heaven or to whatever, whatever kind of afterlife that there is. But that is, uh, the report that they told, uh, police after all this was over. I mean, obviously they sorted everything out. You know, they, they proved through different yeah. information that they were able to give that Carl had actually been embezzling this money. Wow, um, Oda May was in a little bit of trouble because she sort of aided and abetted that even though she gave the money to charity but luckily uh the police and the company were able to uh recover their money from the charity so um you know that all kind of worked out well, let's get to the bank got it instead of the charity <laughs> yeah so it was returned to its rightful owner and um and oda may uh was you know able to plead down because she had a lot of this information uh sure. and and everything so just a really bizarre uh, story that they told yes, uh, police. Um, you know, I mean, I guess there's there's a couple different possible explanations. Um, you know, they could be lying, uh, Otome and uh, and Molly, and maybe they had a little more to do with the embezzlement that they than they let on, um, and that's how they had all this information. It's kind of weird. Like, yeah, maybe they were like all in it together, like you said, and then like that one guy killed uh uh the other guy or whatever his name was mm -hmm. yeah but yeah that's that's just bizarre i mean that's i mean i don't know how they would have found that information you know other than like a ghost or yeah it's it's definitely a, a strange story so yeah that's the ghost story that i have uh for for this week but uh, this has been another episode of the Skeptical Skeptics. You can find us on uh, Twitter. You know, you can find us on on Facebook. We're we're out there everywhere. Um, you know, rate and and I'm working uh, on a MySpace page. Yes, yeah, yeah. We uh, we have some uh, some friends that uh, that do a different podcast that have their own MySpace page. So we're definitely working on that. We want to be in their top eight. Um, so, yeah, like just rate and subscribe. Tell uh, your friends and uh, thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Long live Texas. Long live Texas.